Chapter 9 On Condemnation 1. Slander is a great evil. Just as the little rudder steers the whole ship wherever it wants, likewise the tongue leads a person either to good or to evil. The Holy Fathers greatly censure judging other people's sins, faults, or evil habits. When we judge our brother, we condemn ourselves to a great sin. But when we cover our brother, God will also protect us from great sins. When we expose our brother, we drive the grace of God away from us, and he permits us to fall into the same sins so that we learn that we are all weak and that the grace of God supports us. Whoever guards his tongue guards his soul from great sins and grievous falls. The chief cause of criticism and slander is pride and egotism, because one considers oneself better than the others. For this reason, it is very beneficial for a person to think of himself as below everyone, so that he considers his brother better than him, in order that with the help of God, he may be delivered from this evil. 2. If something pushes you to criticism in any manner regarding a brother or the monastery, try to pray about the matter instead, without passing it under the judgment of your reason. If you turn within yourself through prayer, humility, and mourning, you will find a spiritual treasure. Just keep pride and criticism far from you. 3. Be attentive, my child, that you not judge any soul, for God permits the one who judges his neighbor to fall, so that he learns to have sympathy for his weak brother. The mercy of God supports all of us, but if we become proud, God will remove his grace and we shall become worse than the others. It is one thing to condemn someone and another to be fought by thoughts of condemnation. To condemn is a terrible passion, but to be fought by such thoughts and to fight back, this is an occasion for crowns. 4. Each person must bear the weaknesses of others. Who is perfect? Who can boast that he has kept his heart undefiled? Hence we are all sick, and whoever condemns his brother does not perceive that he himself is sick because a sick person does not condemn another sick person. Love, endure, overlook, do not get angry, do not flare up, forgive one another, so that you resemble our Christ and are counted worthy to be near him in his kingdom. My children, avoid condemnation. It is a very great sin. God is greatly saddened when we condemn and loathe people. Let us concern ourselves only with our own faults. For these we should feel pain. Let us condemn ourselves, and then we shall find mercy and grace from God. 5. Love one another, and do not be embittered out of egotism. Humility is a sure guide. It does not let the one who possesses it hit the reefs of carelessness and be shipwrecked. But as a luminous guide, it leads him faultlessly on sure ground. Egotism is the most evil of evils. It causes all our lapses through unsubmissive thoughts. Fear this and strive to get rid of it, for the more it remains within us, the more it will wound us with the proportionate pain. I beg that you not criticize one another, for this is a downright egotism. Excuse your brother's fault. This is evidence of humility and love. The brother who acts thus will find much grace from God, but he who judges and scandalizes his neighbor should know that not only will he not find grace, but even if he has something, he will lose it so that he may learn the lesson of humility through suffering. Be particularly afraid of inner criticism, that is, thoughts of criticism, 
because it does not come to light through the spoken word, in which case it is likely to be corrected by someone who hears it. Be careful, I say, about criticism from within, which imperceptibly makes us fatally guilty and deprives us of the life of divine grace and offers as a most bitter drink the death of the soul. I pray that love and freedom from criticism will reign in every expression among you so that the Holy Spirit may rest in your souls. 6. Experience has shown that it is wrong to accuse and condemn someone without letting him defend himself. As also the sacred gospel says, does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? If we are not attentive, many sins of condemning others heap up within us, and then repentance is needed. How often a person repents because he spoke. Let us bear in mind the words of Abba Arsenios. I have often repented for speaking, but I have never repented for keeping silent. If we are often deceived by the sense of touch, how much more so we are by people's words. Therefore, much attention is needed for the devil prowls around, roaring to devour us. A Christian ought to be like the many-eyed cherubim, for evil has multiplied greatly, especially the sin of condemnation, which is as common as bread and cheese. May God cleanse us and sanctify us for his glory. Do not let the sun go down on the wrath of your brother. That is, let no one be angry and enraged against his brother past the setting of the sun. Have you heard about that brother who was negligent and lazy, who did not go to the all-night vigils and did not do his duties, whom the brethren knew to be a negligent monk? When he fell ill and the hour of his death drew near, the brethren gathered to hear something beneficial or to comfort him or in case he wanted to say something to them. But they saw him joyful, cheerful. One brother was scandalized. He said, What is this we see in you, brother? We see that you are joyful even though you are approaching death. But we have the thought that you were not a violent monk. So how do you have such courage and a cheerful face? How do you justify yourself? Yes, brethren, he said. Indeed, I was a negligent person and I did not fulfill my duties. But I achieved one good thing by the grace of God, not to condemn any brother and not to scandalize anyone. Never did I let my heart have something against any brother of the monastery when the sun set. And as much as I did not judge any brother, I believe that God will not judge me either. For he said, judge not that you be not judged. And since I did not judge, I will not be judged. The brethren marveled and said, Brother, you found the way of salvation very easily. And the brother died with much joy. Do you see how the Holy Fathers struggled and how they found the way of salvation? On silence, idle talk, and boldness. Compel yourselves in silence, the mother of all godly virtues. Keep silent in order to say the prayer. For when one speaks, how is it possible to avoid idle talk, which gives rise to every evil word, which weighs the soul down with blame? At your work, flee conversation. Only speak in moderation when necessary. Let the hands work for the needs of the body, and let the noose 
say the sweetest name of Christ, so that the need of the soul, which we must not forget even for a moment, will also be provided for. 2. Do not grieve for me, my child, but struggle ardently. Struggle in silence, prayer, and mourning, and you will find the elements of eternal life. Compel yourself. Close your mouth both in joy and in mourning. This is a mark of experience so that both states are kept safely, for the mouth does not know how to guard riches. Silence is the greatest and most fruitful virtue. For this reason the God-bearing fathers called it sinlessness. Silence and stillness, one and the same thing. The first divine fruit of silence is mourning, godly sorrow, joyful sadness. Afterwards come luminous thoughts which bring the holy flow of life-streaming tears through which the second baptism occurs and by which the soul is purified, shines and becomes like the angels. Where shall I place, child of Jesus, the spiritual visions springing forth from silence? How the eyes of the intellect are opened and see Jesus with sweetness greater than that of honey. What a novel wonder is worked from lawful silence and an attentive intellect. You know these things, so struggle. I have revealed a little to you. Compel yourselves, and you will find yet greater. I keep you in my prayers just as I promised you. I wonder, are you ready? 3. Do not speak unnecessary words, my child, for they chill your soul's divine zeal. Love silence, which gives birth to all virtues, and fences in the soul so that the devil's evil does not approach it. Better to fall from a height than with the tongue. The tongue does the greatest harm to man. 4. Salvation is not gained when we speak idly or when we pass our days without keeping accounts. Be careful with your tongue and with your thoughts, for guarding them fills the soul with the light of God. But he whose mouth is unbridled deposits various impurities in his soul. 5. Flee from idle words and laughter if you want your prayer to have boldness through tears and grace. Constantly say the prayer intensely, with zeal, with longing. Only thus does one become strong in soul. Avoid idle words at all costs, for they weaken the soul and then it does not have the strength to struggle. This is no time for daydreaming, but a season for spiritual profit. Who can guarantee that after going to sleep we shall wake up? Therefore, let us compel ourselves. 6. When one keeps silent, he is given time and freedom for prayer and concentration. But when he passes his hours carelessly, he does not have time to pray. Furthermore, through his careless speech, he accumulates various sins. For this reason, the Holy Fathers placed the virtue of silence at the summit of the virtues. For without it, no virtue is able to remain in the soul of man. 7. Always be prudent in your words, that is, first think and then speak. Do not let your tongue run ahead before you think what you have to say. Do not become bold in talking much, my child. Many are the evils from this evil boldness. Flee from it as from fire or a viper. 8. Guard yourselves from boldness and talking and untimely words, for they dry up the soul of man. Silence, meekness, and the prayer, on the other hand, 
Fill the soul with heavenly dew, with a morning full of sweetness. Despise idle talk as the mother of coldness and dryness, for idle talk drives the tears away from our eyes. That is, it takes them away from us and our soul withers. 9. My child, have patience, humility, and love, and guard your tongue, for when it defeats a person, it becomes an irrepressible evil for him, sweeping away also other people in its course and casting them down into the abysses of sin. Yes, my child, you must guard your mouth so that your heart may be kept pure. And when it stays pure, God comes and dwells in it, and then it becomes a temple of God. The holy angels rejoice to be in such a heart. Likewise, drive away filthy thoughts with anger and the prayer. The prayer is a fire that burns and expels the demons. 10. Be careful with your mouth, but primarily with your mind. Do not let evil thoughts start talking with you. Do not let your mouth say words that could perhaps wound your brother. Let your mouth put forth words which are fragrant, words of consolation, of courage, and of hope. It is a person's mouth that reveals his interior, his inner man. 11. Struggle, my child, as much as you can to become forceful. Force yourself in everything, especially in silence and in mournful tears. When silence is practiced with knowledge and maintained with tears, the foundation stone of monasticism is set, on which the secure house will be built wherein the soul will find spiritual warmth and comfort. It is a bad omen for the soul's future if silence is not kept, since one who is not silent scatters whatever he gathers. For a monk who is free with his mouth will be disorderly in everything. When we are silent, we have the time for interior prayer, which brings full assurance, and the time for luminous thoughts, which fill the intellect and heart with light. Therefore, my child, compel yourself in everything, for the good beginning is praised, but the negligent beginning is censured, for its end is most lamentable. Chapter 10 On Pride, Self-Reproach, and Humility 1. Be attentive to your thoughts. Your attention should mainly be turned to gathering humble thoughts. For humility saves man, and it is the chief aim of all spiritual pursuits. To see whether you have made spiritual progress in monasticism, search yourselves. And if you discover humility within yourselves, then you have made spiritual progress in proportion to the amount of humility you have. If instead of humility we see pride and egotism and their consequences, then we need to grieve and weep and mourn for our miserable condition, that the Lord may have compassion on us. Let us flee far away from egotism. It emits an unbearable stench, and miserable is the person who possesses this as his wealth. Such a person will never find peace, not only because of the annoyance of the passions lurking in him, but also because he is far away from true humility. Rest for the soul is only granted to man through humility and meekness. This is what the Lord says to us. Learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For this reason, my dearly beloved children, let us love with all our soul the humility of our Christ together with his meekness, and then indeed we shall find, just as he said, manifold repose for our souls. It is not easy to acquire humility. 
Much labor and time are needed. To put egotism to death requires that we sacrifice ourselves. Let us trample our ego underfoot and embrace perfect self-denial. Let us fall in love with obedience and then with bloody struggles by the help of God, the death of the ego will be achieved. Onward, therefore, my children, let us run like athletes in the stadium of the glorious race, where the victor will be crowned with the unfading crown of eternal glory before the lofty throne of our most sweet God. I beg you, do not lose courage in the battle, for the Lord with a hidden hand will strengthen us so that we will vanquish the demon of egotism, and he will clothe us in the divinely woven robe of holy humility. I write you these things and pray that these few words will fall like seeds into the good soil of your souls and bear a hundredfold the fruit of life eternal. Amin, so be it. Two, if we have struggled to acquire humility, we have inherited a luxurious garment. If we have love, we have prepared this garment most elegantly. If we have obtained unquestioning obedience, we have beautified it with colors and luster. And if we have labored at unceasing prayer, we have sprinkled it with the fragrance of the choicest myrrh. After we perfect it in this manner, we shall wear it and appear at the judgment seat of Christ with boldness and heavenly joy. Then the Lord of glory will smell a scent of spiritual fragrance and joyously open the infinite treasures of graces to us. Then indeed we shall be rich. Three, you, my child, should look only at yourself. You lack humility. Your pride and obstinacy are causing those thoughts which you wrote about. If you humble yourself, if you blame yourself in all temptations and believe that you suffer them because of your passions and that the elder and the brothers are not at fault, then immediately you will sense relief from those thoughts and your wounds will heal. If you expect to be healed by any other means, namely that the elder or the brothers change, you labor in vain. Evil requires eradication from the root and its root is pride egotism, obstinacy, the will, anger, and so forth. All these are healed with one medicine, by casting the burden of the error and temptation on yourself. Always say, it is my fault. I am the cause. Because of my passions, I suffer. The cause of my evils is no one else but me, the thrice wretched one. Yes, my child, this is the highest truth, the true reality. Walk in accordance with what I advise. Walk along these guidelines and you will truly find the health and cure of your soul. Four, since we have pride, whether apparent or hidden without our realizing it, God desiring to purify us from this stinking condition raises a storm in order to cast out all the dregs which have accumulated mainly in a time of spiritual negligence. All kinds of rubbish and refuse are thrown into the sea especially in the harbor, and if there were no storms, the sea would become a source of pestilence. But the fact that the sea is pure and wholesome is due to the occasional storms. Spiritually, the same thing happens with our soul, with the sea of our soul. Refuse accumulates little by little from our various passions and careless deeds, and the devil throws in his own trash too. We do not see how much refuse has accumulated. 
God knows, however, and since he wants to purify us, he stirs up storms in proportion to the accumulation of refuse, and thus he purifies the sea of our soul. Sometimes after we pass through a temptation with patience, we see that our soul is calmed, joyful, and light as air. On our part, we must be careful not to accumulate refuse, so that storms of corresponding magnitude do not become necessary. Storms are stirred up also in saints, but those are of another nature. They have another purpose. Sometimes a trial helps them become more holy, or it is for their greater glory, or it is so that they may glorify God more, or it has to do with the storms raised against orthodoxy and so forth. See to it, my child, that you have much humility, obedience to the advice of your elder, and love for all, and that you never trust your thoughts, but follow faithfully the suggestions of your elder. Five, never become overconfident in yourselves. Never accept the thought that you are good and virtuous. Reproach yourselves. Accuse yourselves inwardly in order to slay your ego, which is the wall that blocks the Son of Righteousness, Christ, so that his rays do not reach us to illumine our noose with the knowledge of God and of self. Love humility in everything, for our Jesus showed the example for us. When? When he girded himself with a towel and washed the feet of his disciples and said, Do you know what I have done to you? That is, just as I humbled myself by washing your feet, you two should humble yourselves to one another. 6. Learn the monastic way of humility. Whenever you are ordered to do something by the elder, say, May it be blessed. And whenever he censures you, say, Bless. Through humility, contact with the divine occurs sooner. For our Christ says, Learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Rest for the soul is the truest sign of a healthy soul. Humble yourselves, degrade yourselves, abase yourselves, that the peace of God may come into your souls. Do not justify yourselves when the elder reproves you for one of your faults, but say bless. 7. Let us love the humble disposition, my child, and if the Lord pities our nakedness and sends us some ability to pray and clothes our soul with some divine garment, we must be cautious lest we soil it out of carelessness, that is, through pride, criticism, negligence, disobedience, and so forth. But let us make a greater effort to whiten it through good works, especially through humble-mindedness and self-reproach. God is pleased more with these than the great works done with vainglory. Always have perfect obedience. Obedience is the offspring of humility, whereas backtalk, quarrels, and disobedience are the offspring of pride, which a monk must hate as the causes of his soul's defilement. 8. Always seek in your prayers, first and foremost, that God grant you humble-mindedness. Persist in this request of yours, for without true humble-mindedness, nothing good or worth a reward is achieved. Just as the Apostle Paul says, What do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Therefore, my child, struggle against this miserable passion by being humble-minded and contemplating what great humility the Lord of glory showed in becoming man and humbling himself to the point of abuse, slander, and the cross. But also all the holy people of God showed exceptional humility by which they became holy 
and attested to us that there is no road leading to salvation other than this. Espouse whatever gives you humility, even if it hurts and makes you feel as if you are dying. The outcome of the pain will be a blessing from God and progress toward the most excellent of virtues, humility. I pray that our God, Jesus, will grant you this indelibly within your soul. 9. The whole essence of the matter, my child, is this. You are being attacked by a spirit of pride along with her sisters, vainglory and arrogance, along with their helpers, filthy and blasphemous thoughts. Know, my child, that the spirit of pride is difficult to overcome. The spirit of vainglory is many-headed and thorny. No matter how you change your thoughts or your way of life, you will find it in front of you like a thorn. And if this is how things are, what can we do? We should employ every means, whether mental or material, that leads us toward humility. Above all, we have to coerce our mind to think humbly and leave it to divine providence to arrange the deliverance from or reduction of this passion. On our part, we should persevere with a fighting spirit, and God, in proportion to our struggle, will intervene as a succour and helper. About the dreadful passion of vainglory, St. John of the Latter says, Vainglory till the tomb, that is, until we die, we will be attacked by vainglory, with the difference that it will be weakened by the war against it and by long experience of its falsehood. Weep before God so that he grants you a spirit of humility, for only through this will you advance towards higher things, toward the love of God. Spiritual progress is nothing but the acquisition of humble-mindedness. Jesus, even though he is God, humbled himself so much, and we who are lowly by nature exalt ourselves and fluff out the feathers of vainglory like a peacock. However, when he throws us into some temptation and we peacocks see the ugliest of our feet, that is, the rotten condition of our soul, then we recognize that we, the race of Adam, are by nature, and that our pride is not humbled except by slaps and falls. Tears and mourning bring much humility, therefore ask patiently from the giver of good things. Pray, do not overlook me, the prodigal one, O thou who was born of a virgin, do not overlook my tears, O joy of the angels, but receive me in repentance and save me. I pray that Jesus, the humble of heart, may give you his heart, so that you may experience his humility. 10. Humility is a wonderful virtue, which makes fragrant the one who has it. He who has humility also has obedience, love, patience, and every virtue. When we get angry or become enraged or criticized or do not obey, it is evident that we have a corresponding amount of pride and egotism. The more we progress in humility, the more the evil offspring of egotism will retreat. My children, let us humble ourselves for the Lord who humbled himself for us. The Lord showed so much humility, even to the point of crucifixion. So shouldn't we, who are lowly by nature, bow our head to our brother? Do we expect always to get our own way? If we want Jesus to dwell within our heart, let us love and humble ourselves like Christ. Let us not grieve him anymore with egotistic manifestations. Let us not crucify him again with expressions and conduct lacking brotherly love. No more bitterness in the holy heart of our most sweet Christ. 11. 
The angels were in heaven in glory and hymns. Men were happy in their mansions, but God the Creator was within a cave and in the manger of animals as the last pauper. What humility of our Jesus. Acquire this humility, my children. Humility is the most grace-filled virtue, a garment interwoven with gold. Blessed is the one clothed in it. He will acquire an ineffable spiritual beauty. On the contrary, the most filthy passion is egotistical pride. 12. I entreat our Panagia very much that she grant me humility in all things, for it is a fundamental virtue, and without it the grace of the All-Holy Spirit does not validate any of our work. When the Archbishop of Alexandria, Theophilus, visited the fathers of Mount Natria, he asked the elder of the mountain, What have you found, Father, more than us in this way of asceticism? And the Venerable One replied, To reproach myself at all times. Truly, replied Theophilus, there is no shorter road to God than this. Didn't Lucifer and Adam fall away from God through pride and rebellion? Wasn't Adam saved by the humility of the Theotokos? Behold the handmaid of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And of the Son of God, who was born of her without change, who taught and practiced extreme humility. He also said, Learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Whenever a person looks upon himself with humble thoughts and self-reproach, he will see in his soul a sweet repose, peace, consolation, relief, and hope. While on the contrary, what shows him his pride of soul is restlessness, agitation, wrath, boasting, haughty tendencies, and so on. Ah, how effortless the road of humility is! Even without laboring ascetically or enduring illnesses, a person with humility and self-reproach, along with thanksgiving to God, is able to reach spiritual heights and feel the gift of sonship, while on the contrary, toiling ascetically without realizing one's own infirmity and weakness and wretchedness is a struggle without prizes, sweat without wages, a road without hope. What a misfortune to struggle without profit, to cultivate without reaping. Why does this happen? Because the struggle was not lawful. If someone competes as an athlete, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Even in physical competitions, an athlete is not crowned if he does not struggle lawfully. 13. Our holy God lets temptations come upon those who love him in order to teach them the art of war. The grace of God withdraws, and then clouds of temptations rise, and one reaches the point of saying, See, God has abandoned me. Then he has myriads of thoughts, strangulation of soul, and darkness and lapses everywhere. Holy wisdom, our holy God, causes all these, and we learn that only God is able to save us, and that without God all our own works are rubbish and chaff, which all scatter with the slightest wind of temptation, and it becomes apparent that we are rusty things, feeble and unable to face any temptation whatsoever without the aid of our holy God's grace. Through such things the grace of divine providence teaches us the lesson of self-knowledge, that is of true, cognizant, solid, bedrack humility, for without it it is impossible to build a spiritual house. He abandons us to the point of despair, so that we are compelled to cry out to him mournfully and lamentably, so that our mouth and our heart may be sanctified. 
Temptations, therefore, bring about all these things. Indeed, let us pray that God will protect us from temptations, but when they come, we must pass through them with patience and wisdom to profit from them. Therefore, have patience in all things, and thus save yourself. 14. My child, as a rule, you should always have continual self-reproach. In every controversy, do a prostration first. Thus you receive the crown first, and you cause your brothers to repent. At all times reflect on the Lord who humbled himself, so that your soul is ready to endure every kind of humiliation for his love. That which plays the most important role in the spiritual struggle is for the person to learn to humble himself, reproach himself, and justify his neighbor. Whoever has learned this philosophy is surely gathering already the most sweet fruit of freedom from passions. Otherwise, he will drag his passions along with him to his great and constant grief. My child, reproach yourself constantly. Do not consider yourself to be right. Whenever you hear something bad being said about you, say, My brothers are right. This is how I am. I deserve even more slander because of my sins. Always consider yourself lower than everyone and refrain from giving orders as one having authority. In short, humility is everything. 15. Always reckon yourself as very sinful and polluted, so that Jesus Christ may have sympathy for you and send you mercy and forgiveness of your many sins. Have obedience to all the brethren. Become last of all, the lowest, if you want your passions and weaknesses to depart from you. Never justify yourself, neither in word nor in thought, but always condemn yourself as the one being at fault and deserving many blows. Have faith in the elder, show obedience and love to his words, and confess frankly each of your thoughts, for frank confession is characteristic of a humble soul. 16. Reproach yourself continually, for self-reproach is an offspring and fruit of a humble heart. And in a humble heart the divine manifests itself as it knows best. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Examine each of your falls carefully, and you will perceive that, to a greater or lesser degree, the seed of pride was the chief cause of the fall. 17. Keep in mind the existence of your ego. It causes every evil. Humble yourself, strangle your ego, which comes like a venomous serpent, to poison your soul. Do not allow any proud thoughts to remain within you. Only thus will you foil every activity of Satan. The Holy Triodian begins with the beautiful example of the publican and the Pharisee to instruct us that through a humble mind anyone can acquire justification, that is, the forgiveness of his sins from God. Likewise, this parable also reveals the great evil, pride, which acts as a mighty obstacle to the forgiveness of sins, in spite of practicing all the other virtues and especially almsgiving. From this and from many other scriptural truths, we are taught that without humility and true repentance, a person cannot be saved, even if he prospers in the other virtues. 18. Do not be obstinate, but humble. Do not think that you are something, for this is pride, and God loathes the proud. My child, always assume that you are the most sinful person in the world, and that if the grace of God abandons you, you will do all the evil things in the world. 
always accuse yourself. Whenever you go to receive Holy Communion, accuse yourself as unworthy to receive Christ the Master within you, who are so sinful. You must weep when you receive Holy Communion for Christ to have compassion on you for your sins. Learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Do you see, my child, meekness is the fruit of humility, and both bestow God's blessed rest. Grass does not sprout in trampled ground. Likewise, passions and wickedness do not sprout in a humble soul. As long as we lack humility, God will not stop humbling us through trials until we learn this serious and life-saving lesson. 19. Onward, my children, gird yourselves with the spiritual towel of Christ's humility and submit to everything so as to receive the Lord of all in your heart. Our Christ does not rest in a soul lacking the fragrance of humility, but rather departs because of its malodorous pride. I entreat you with all my heart, detest talking back, quarreling, disobedience, self-will, boldness, and every other passionate state, for all these drive away God's love and bring bitterness into the soul instead. Be sincere in everything you show and express, do not tell lies, speak the truth. Do not look at the spiritual illnesses of your brethren struggling together with you, for you will be greatly harmed. But rather sympathetically overlook their illnesses for the sake of the Lord, so that he may also deem your own illnesses worthy of sympathy. Never think anything great about yourselves, lest you be not abandoned by the grace of God, which is guarding you, and a great trial befall you. 20. There is no greater evil than egotism. It gives birth to all temptations and troubles, and woe to whomever it entangles, it will deform him. Only the good disciple will make his soul angelic with spiritual beauty. Do not let time pass unfruitfully, for the yarn is being wound. And suddenly we shall hear, Put your house in order, for you will die, you will live no longer. Strike egotism with all your might. Learn humility, work with contrition, with mourning, with the fragrance of humility. Only deeds which have humility will be rewarded. The deeds poisoned by egotism and self-will will be taken by the four winds and scattered like rubbish, and we shall be left empty-handed. Let us come to our senses. Let us rejoice with the unadulterated love of Christ, for passionate souls will not enter into the heavenly Jerusalem. Only pure souls will enter there, with joy and delight. 21. Yes, my dearly beloved children, truly we lack this most holy virtue, humility. Egotism, this evil wickedness, has caused all the sufferings of man. Indeed, humility is holiness. Why do we clash over a trifle? Because we do not have humility. He who has humility wards off troubles. Without true humility, troubles remain intact and increase such that all hope of correction is lost. A humble person does not remember any past wrongs which his neighbor did to him, but with all his heart forgives and forgets everything for the love of God. Beg our humble Jesus in your prayers to give you a spirit of humble-mindedness and meekness. 22. Humble yourself and reproach yourself. Do not justify yourself, even if you are absolutely right. For self-justification 
is not conducive to the healing of our spiritual illnesses. My daughter, try to please the Eurondisa, the Eldress, and the Spirit of God will overshadow you. Become a humble bride of Christ. The egotist is abominable to the most beautiful bridegroom, Christ. The bridegroom is humble and meek. Will the bride be a proud, ill-tempered soul? If you want to be fragrant, embrace a humble, simple, obedient, and meek spirit. Despise egotism as a stench and a stupidity. You do very well to reproach yourself in everything. This path is most true to the fathers. Yes, my child, implant this manner of life deeply within your dear little soul, and you will benefit enormously. 23. What is more beautiful than spiritual forcefulness? Indeed, it gives a hidden but perfect joy along with a holy, promising future. Therefore, my child, struggle in holy self-reproach. Continually reproach yourself, cast the blame upon yourself, and cry out, My Jesus, here too I am at fault. Neither the devil nor any other person, but my evil self is at fault, because I don't pay attention to where I walk. Cast light upon the path of my life. Send the dew of humility into my heart, so that I may feel thee, my meek and humble Jesus. Do not disregard my tears, O joy of the angels, but accept them as a fragrant scent, and grant me the petitions of my heart, so that I may find relief, and chant as an ecstatic youth the triumphal hymn of thy glory. Concentrate on yourself, and see everything with a simple eye, and as something that need not concern you. Work according to your strength and with a pure conscience. Pray for yourself and for all your brethren. May your love cover everything, and may you fly over snares like a soaring eagle. 24. Be careful, my daughter, with your way of life. Be more meek, more tolerant. Be humble, yielding. All these are characteristics of self-knowledge. Blame yourself, saying, If you think that the sisters scorn you and do not pay attention to you, and so forth, they do well to you. You are getting what you deserve for your deeds. For if you were worthy of attention, they would regard you. But because you are unworthy an egotist, a grumbler. God allows this for you to be humbled. So how long will you fail to understand that you are such and worse? By this and other means, smite yourself as with a club in order to smash the head of the dreadful beast which is called egotism. It is responsible for everything. Therefore, let us direct all our efforts against it. And if with God's help we humble it, immediately the vile passions of the bipartite man will wither. Reflect that God has given us everything, body, soul, mind, heart, earth, air, nourishment, breath, freedom in Christ, faith in him, his heavenly kingdom, deliverance from hell, the holy mysteries, the holy guardian of our souls, and above all his invincible power which he gives us in our battles. Moreover, he has given himself to us. How and for what can I boast, since God has given me everything, and I have nothing of my own? Even if I think something good, the source of good is God. Even my mind, which thought, it is God's. I have done something spiritual, and whether the heart or the body did it, both are God's. What is mine is the will, yet even the will is aided by him. So all things derive from the true source, God. What do we have, my child, that is not from God?
From this point on, we enter the domain of self-knowledge, of humility. What is the universe in comparison with God's infinitude? Then what part of anything is man because of his nothingness, who boasts and is proud of his nothingness? So this is the unshakable truth. His truth will encompass you like a shield. With these truths, you are very capable of opposing Satan powerfully. 25. Fight the good fight, my child. Do not fear. Break away from every fetter of despair. God chose the weak and useless in order to shame those who think themselves healthy and useful. The power of God is more clearly manifest in weak creatures, and at the same time this choice of God pushes us toward involuntary humility and impels us to send up like fragrant incense unlimited thanksgiving and gratitude to him. My child, God has shown much love to you. Therefore, remain in God's bosom with humility that you may be exalted with divine enjoyment. Be careful of the spirit of arrogance. Do not think that you have something that others do not have. For the Holy Spirit distributes himself to each one of us as he wills. To one he appears as love, to another as wisdom, to another as knowledge, to another as great fear of God, one and the same spirit. That is all partake of the Holy Spirit, not according to one's works, but according to one's humility. Nothing else in the absence of good deeds is capable of making us sons of God, other than the realization of our own weakness and the majesty of God. Without humility, our work lacks the seal of approval. When it partakes of humility, immediately it becomes valid. God seeks useless beings. Go out into the streets and into the roads and find as many as are poor, maimed, sick, lame, and compel them all to come in so that my house may be filled. For those who were called, who considered themselves blameless, shall not taste my supper. How joyful it is that we too are included among the useless beings because of our weaknesses, and that he has called us into his house to make us his courtiers and friends, so that we may hear in our heart's chamber the divine voices of the heavenly bodiless powers. You see, my child, that the evil one is lying when he tells you that you are physically useless and are not fit to be a monk. It is important that the soul be healthy, humble, that is, with self-knowledge. God does not desire an offering of health in order to give grace, for he is not a human with needs, but God without needs. It is he who allows sicknesses to, and once he has healed the soul through them, he has achieved his purpose. Health of body is not necessary to him. Love and humility are necessary to him and beneficial to us. 26. Thoughts of both pride and vainglory are formidable and difficult to fight against. But before the humility of Jesus, they literally lose their strength. The truth shall set you free from every sin and passion. The Holy Fathers write, When you see Pilate and Herod reconcile, know that they are preparing to kill Jesus. And when you see vainglory and pride attacking you, know that they are plotting to destroy your soul. Fear and trembling should seize you when you discern such thoughts. For in proportion to the magnitude of your pride, the providence of God prepares to chasten you with trials so that you may learn to think humbly. 
force yourself to be humble. And when you see thoughts of pride, lay hold of a whip and start lashing yourself. The bodily pain will drive away the pain of your soul, and God, who sees how much you are struggling, will provide you with the corresponding strength. For according to our intention and struggle, Jesus sends his almighty power. Just think how many people have preached, written, and dogmatized. They filled the world with books, as did Origen, who wrote many books and saved many people and strengthened a multitude of others to become martyrs. Yet in the end, he was labeled as the founder of a heresy and fell away from God. Alas, how much evil does pride create in man? God reckons no man's works as his own, since man is merely a faucet, a tap, not the spring. And how can the faucet consider the water flowing through it as its own work, since it knows that the spring causes the water to flow? Even so, forgetfulness is a most evil teacher of the soul, for had it remembered the truth, it would not have gone mad. What made Lucifer fall? Was it not haughty thinking? Let this be a lesson for us, for one acquires experience and caution not only from one's own misfortunes, but also from one's neighbors. How did great ascetics, who had renounced everything, fall and reach the point of demonic possession, and then return to the world so that monasticism was blamed? They fell because... They thought that they were better and more virtuous than the others, and that they were supposedly accomplishing something. 27. Since we already know very well that the hunter of our souls has set and laid traps everywhere, let us not be drowsy. Whether at a store or in town, in the comfort of one's family, or even in the church of God, we must watch out for the traps that happen to be set under the pretense of piety. Who is able to be delivered from these camouflaged traps and ridicule their masterly craftsmen? Behold, let us use the broad experience of our holy monastic fathers to destroy them. They teach that it is essentially only the exulting virtue of humility that is almighty, a sword of the spirit that destroys evil at its root and completely disables the traps of the tempter. So let us toil to acquire this most salvific virtue of humility, which destroys the devil. 28. Once a demon met St. Macarius the Great and said to him, Macarius, what do you do more than we do by sitting in the desert? I reside in the desert too. You fast, but I never eat. You pursue poverty, but I own nothing. Ah, Macarius, you have one thing that vanquishes me that I am unable to resist. What do I have? asked Macarius. Humility. It burns me. And as soon as he said this, he disappeared. Let us make a little effort to acquire the saving virtue. The effort consists of constantly beseeching our God, who is able to grant us everything. Let us be assured that we shall receive this virtue when with pain and patience and persistence we knock at the door of mercy, which opens easily when we use the key of the wronged widow in the Holy Gospel. Let us shake off the burden of indolence, and let us imitate the clear-sightedness of the deer by quickly hastening to our God at every temptation and by seeking his assistance. In this way we can defeat Goliath the barbarian and glorify the majesty of the kingdom to which we belong, the majesty of the kingdom of God. 29. 
When the evil spirit of pride fights against us, we shall never stop falling. But falls make us aware of our wretchedness and help us attain humility. Then Christ comes, who is humble of heart and meek in soul. Then joy, peace, and sweetness will reign in our soul, and blessedness will warm our heart. 30. Compel yourselves, my children, in the spiritual struggle. Do not forget the vast experience of the devil and our own weakness. Just as a leaf in autumn falls at the slightest wind, likewise we fall at the slightest temptation or trial when the grace of God does not assist us. And when does the grace of God assist us? Only when humility guides our every thought and deed. 31. May true and genuine humble-mindedness increase in your soul, through which the fruit of the soul is preserved. Satan tries to make those who struggle forget their goal. He succeeds in doing so if he can make them grow proud so that they think it was by their own progress and forcefulness that they acquired this or that virtue. In this way, the labor remains without a reward, a struggle without hope, work without pay. 32. The voice you heard saying to you, Christ has purged you of your sins and deadened your passions, is from the devil. It is the first stepping stone that leads man to delusion and destruction. If one listens and pays attention to him and his heart is sweetened and he accepts these words of the devil as true, immediately the devil comes more tangibly to him and gradually he is overcome. Then it takes much toil to be freed. This is why, my child, you did well not to pay attention to that voice and to criticize yourself instead. Next time you hear something, say, I will tell it to my Yeronda, to my elder, and will do whatever he tells me. The devil greatly fears confession to one's elder because he knows that all his traps will be ruined. You should realize, my child, that thoughts of conceit, of pride, in other words, they've sprouted within you, and this is why this happened to you. Be careful. Have much humility. Every day entreat God to grant you a spirit of humility. Just as nothing grows on a trodden path, likewise no delusion grows in a trodden, humble spirit. Excerpt from a homily on humility. We need to be very careful. Let us attend to ourselves and fear God. Fear is light, it is a lamp. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of God, and the end of wisdom is the fear of God. Fear precedes even the love of Christ. When the love of Christ is acquired, fear is still mingled with love, for love can lead one to take liberties and thus depart from proper love. Fear is the break that restrains a person. Whenever we see within us malice, envy, criticism, grumbling, and whatever else is of the devil, we should realize that we do not have a pure heart. If we had a pure heart, we would not be offended even if people insulted and derided us. The fact that we are offended, bothered, embittered shows that our heart is not pure. We lack humble-mindedness. Humble-mindedness makes a person tolerant, forbearing, patient. When we do not have patience, when we do not have forbearance, when we are not tolerant, when we do not endure patiently, this is characteristic of a lack of the most fundamental virtues, humble-mindedness and love, which take us closer to the goal, which is purity. When genuine spiritual love and humble-mindedness do not exist, then we have not reached our goal. A person does not need 
erudition, and great knowledge to achieve purity. When I reflect that I have sacrificed everything in order to reach this goal, I cannot make excuses to justify myself. If we make excuses, we are defeating the purpose. It is not so much a question of whether or not the other person is at fault, as it is whether or not I really love my brother, or whether or not I feel that my heart is heavy. It is my fault. I need to change my soul and love him, even though within myself I feel bitterness toward him because he reproved me once, or because he does not think well of me. If I have a dark and somewhat bitter image of him within myself, this burdens only me. That brother may indeed be thus inclined toward me, but thinking like this does not help me reach my goal. No matter how that brother is disposed toward me, if I want to reach my goal and be united to God, I must see him differently. For this reason, the fathers never justified people, especially monks, if they had something against someone. One father was going to bring another brother to trial, or rather prosecute him. So he went to Abba Sisios and said to him, Father, I am going to bring charges against my brother because he has done such and such an evil to me. Forgive him. Pardon him. No, he answered. If I pardon him, he will do it to me again. This man must be punished. Eh, fine, my child. Let us say a prayer and then go. So they knelt, and Abbasisios began praying. Our Father, who art in the heaven, and do not forgive us our debts, and we do not forgive our debtors. That's not right, Father, he said. You made a mistake. Since you want to take your brother to the judge, this is how we will pray. Then the brother realized his mistake, repented, and did not go to denounce his brother. So there is one great truth, just as our heart is disposed toward our brother, in the same way the heart of God will be disposed toward us. Do you want God to forgive your errors? Do you want him to love you with all his heart? Then you too should love and forgive with all your heart. Do you want God to forget your errors and not remember them? I want it. I desire it, cries the soul. Then no matter how your neighbor has wronged you, neither think about it nor remember it. This is the enormous truth. So whoever departs from this goal will make many and great mistakes in his life. If we apply this patristic wisdom, the devil will have no power over us. Let all of us be attentive and compel ourselves so that we do not lose our goal and repent bitterly tomorrow. We must keep these things in mind and work as if it were our last day. Our aim is one, to come to see ourselves, to see our own guilt, and to reprove ourselves in everything, to criticize ourselves, to consider ourselves responsible and guilty, and to pay no attention to whether our neighbor is guilty or not. The fathers say, if we desire to bring peace to ourselves by trying to reconcile others, we shall never have peace. That is, if we want to derive peace from others becoming peaceful, we shall not be at peace. So a person must find peace within himself internally. Make peace within yourself, says Abba Isaac, and then heaven and earth will make peace with you. Let us ingrain this indelibly within our heart, for this is the spiritual wealth 
that the Holy Gospel and the patristic texts give us to save our wretched souls. Councils from the Holy Mountain, selected from the letters and homilies of our Holy Yeranda Ephraim of Arizona among the saints, continued. Chapter 11 On Love and Forgiveness 1. My children, fight the good fight. Let brotherly love continue. May love be the center of all actions within the synodia. May egotism be far from your thoughts and words. Whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all, says the Lord. And if we do not become like little children in terms of innocence and simplicity, we shall by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. When love governs a synodia, Christ invisibly blesses everything. Joy, peace, and self-sacrifice for the brethren are a fire in the heart of every brother, but also prayer intensifies then. The more love abounds, the more love in Christ and self-sacrifice enriches their souls, and then Christ is glorified and worshipped, and we become humble instruments for the glorification of the holy name of God. Genuine love does not envy the good gifts of one's brother. It does not rejoice when it hears humiliating words or criticism of a brother. It does not restrain itself from constantly commending a brother's progress. Love does not envy, love does not parade itself, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, but its brother's interests. It is not provoked, it thinks no evil, it bears all things, endures all things. Whoever has genuine love never falls by sinning against his brother. So, my children, Pray that love itself, our God, will grant you the gift of love in Christ. And when this love comes to reign in our hearts, words, and deeds, then we should hope for prospects of forming a synodia in Christ within a Christian spirit, with spiritual radiance and an unshakable foundation, a synodia closely united with one mind and one soul in many bodies. 2. My beloved children, I pray that the God of love will strengthen you in mutual love and give you the love that does not act wickedly, that does not create scandals, but rather averts them with the wisdom it engenders. I pray that the Lord will give you pure love, love which guards the mouth of him who possesses it, and does not let him fall into the pit of criticism, malicious gossip, lying, hypocrisy, and the countless other evils which the lack of this true godly love begets through the tongue. He who has love abides in God and God in him. The evidence that we are of God and that we love him is when we have true and unadulterated love for one another. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer and is in spiritual darkness and does not know where he is going. We have received a very important commandment from our Lord Jesus, to love one another. Likewise, the devil has given a commandment to those who obey him, that they hate one another. Therefore, we are disciples and subjects of him whose commandments we keep. My children, let us fear coldness and enmity toward our brethren, as well as the various thoughts that accompany these attitudes, which little by little lead the soul to demonic hatred. For in this manner we subject ourselves to the devil, the enemy of our salvation, as to a master, and then innumerable evils will accumulate in our poor souls. Love is the base the foundation, the roof of the soul that possesses it. When such a soul has the God of love dwelling within it, it rejoices splendidly at every moment. 
In a monastery, mutual love among its members is extremely necessary for its establishment and preservation. Because love is the golden link that unites the brethren in every way in a closely knit body, which will withstand the temptations that the Lord of enmity and hatred, the devil, will always create. Love is that invincible power that holds the members together in one body, with the abbot as the head. And every time it is necessary, this power will fight against the other completely opposite power of evil, which will endeavor to break off members from their unity. When we are lax and slack in love, the opposing power of the devil will have victories for its side corresponding to the laxity that our previously fervent and powerful love has suffered. What are the victories of the opposing power? Troubles within the brotherhood, such as backtalk and disobedience, quarrels, pride, bragging, envy, hatred, and finally, deserting the monastery. Let us reflect, my children. Do the angels in heaven perhaps talk back, disobey, do their own will, bear malice, hate, or desert the place where they serve before the throne of God? Of course not. This is what Lucifer did, who was once a rising star and was cast down, became Satan. Therefore, since we have worn the angelic schema, aren't we also obliged to live in an angelic manner? How can you be considered to be living an angelic life when I see amongst you backtalk, complaining, self-will, enmity, and worst of all, disobedience? By doing such things, wouldn't you be doing the opposite of what you have been counseled to do by my lowliness? Won't you receive a greater condemnation by doing the opposite, according to the scriptural saying that he who knows and does not do shall be beaten with many blows, that is, he will be strictly chastised with many terrible blows and punishments. Let us fear disobedience to counsels, my children, because every transgression and disobedience inevitably receives a punishment. On the contrary, let us struggle to apply them. Be obedient to what you have been advised to do, so that you may receive the unfading crown of love and obedience when the trophies and crowns are given by the judge of the contest, Jesus Christ. I pray that the Christian's champion lady of the world will count you worthy through her prayers and those of all the saints to receive this unfading crown of eternal glory. 3. My child, see to it that you drive away the evil thoughts which the devil urges you to consent to, especially thoughts of hatred toward the brethren you should pay no attention to, because he aims to steal from you the greatest virtue, love. And if he achieves this, he has completely won your soul. Once we have lost love, God, that is, for God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him, then what is there left to save us? My child, do not listen at all to these thoughts of hatred toward the brethren, but drive them away immediately and start saying the prayer, or tell Satan, The more you bring me thoughts of hatred, devil, the more I will love my brethren. For I have an order from my Christ not only to love them, but even to sacrifice myself for them, just as Christ sacrificed himself for me, the wretch. And at once embrace the things about them that annoy you, and say, Just look how much I love them, O envious Satan. I will die for them. By doing this, God sees your good intentions and the method you are using to conquer the devil, and he will come at once to your aid to deliver you. 4. 
I pray that the all-good God will send down upon you the all-Holy Spirit, as he did to his divinely sent holy apostles, so that you may be enlightened to walk the arduous path of salvation. Behold now, what is so good or joyous as for brethren to dwell together in unity with love? There is nothing more beautiful than for our synodia to be replete with godly love. Then everything is radiant, everything is full of beauty, while God above delights and the holy angelic spirits rejoice above where love is boundless. Love one another as I have loved you. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. O love, whoever possesses you has a truly blessed heart. For within love, what could one possibly want and not find? Humility, joy, patience, goodness, compassion, forbearance, enlightenment, and so on, are all there. But in order to obtain this supremely wondrous love, we must constantly call upon the God of love to give it to us. When the name of God is remembered through the prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, it contains within it eternal life, and eternal life is the God of love. Therefore, he who prays this prayer obtains true godly love. So, onwards, Behold the way and means of victoriously conquering love. Take courage and bravely proceed into the battle. Say the prayer constantly, orally and noetically. It is more beneficial to say it orally during the day because at that time the noose is scattered by one's work. Five. The beautiful road of love is effortless. And there is neither blemish nor stain in love but rather the conscience testifies that the soul has boldness toward God. But when there is no love, the soul has no boldness in prayer, and as one defeated and cowardly, it cannot lift its head because it feels remorse for not having loved as God has loved it. It is a transgressor of the commandment of God. If we do not love our brethren whom we have seen, how can we love God whom we have not seen? He who has true love has God, Whoever does not have love does not have God in himself. The Holy Fathers say, If you have seen your brother, you have seen God. Your salvation depends on your brother. The holy monastic fathers of old walked the path of salvation effortlessly because they sacrificed everything so that they would not fall away from love. Love was their goal in life. Our path, though, is completely strewn with thorns which sprouted because we lack love. And this is why when we walk, we constantly bleed. The foundations of the house shake when we do not lay the foundation of love well. 6. Compel yourself, my child, for the sake of your soul. Compel yourself to comfort the brethren, and the Lord will comfort you. He will give you his grace. Have patience. Have patience. Let everyone treat you like dirt and he will give you his grace. Great is he who has more humility. God gives grace to the person who has fear of God and obeys everyone like a small child and constantly seeks God's holy will. Such a person never seeks that his own will be done, but the will of God and of others. He always says, as you wish, as you know best. He does not give his own opinion because he considers himself lower than everyone. When they tell him to do something, he eagerly says, May it be blessed. So, my child, this is what you should do, too. This makes the demons tremble. 
flee far away and not approach any more. They are very afraid when they see humility, obedience, and love toward all. 7. My child, just do your duty. If the others do not obey, leave it to God and be at peace. It is due to the devil's jealousy, my child. Will the devil go out, perhaps, to the mountains to create temptations? He goes wherever people are struggling for their salvation. And since we, too, are seeking our salvation, he jumbles us up without our realizing it. Carry the burden of the brethren. God rewards everyone justly. The time will come when you will see how much he will give you for the pains you went through to look after so many souls. Labor in this world. Keep helping, and you will never be deprived of God's help. Now you are sowing. The time will come for you to reap. Pray that God will make you strong in patience, discernment, enlightenment, and so forth. I'm constantly praying for you, but I have no boldness before God, and thus my prayer bears no fruit. Just think what the fathers went through to save others. It is no small matter. You are helping the others, which is why the devil will take it out on you and afflict you. So start showing patience and bravery and say, I am ready to die in the battle helping my brethren to be saved, but God will not let me perish since I am doing it for the sake of his love. Yes, do so, and you will see how much strength and joy you will receive in the struggle, for sometimes impatience, despair, and pessimism deprive a person of God's grace, and then he wrongly attributes it to the burdens he is bearing. But courage, self-sacrifice, bravery, and faith in God bring the grace of God. I pray that God will invigorate your spiritual nerves to fight with renewed strength. 8. Abide in the bond of mutual love, for love is the beginning and the end, the foundation. It is on love toward God and your brothers that all the law and the prophets hang. Without love we are a clanging symbol, a big zero. According to the Holy Apostle Paul, even if we give our body to be burned for Christ and distribute our belongings to the poor and mortify our life with harsh asceticism for Christ, yet lack love, we have accomplished nothing. Therefore, with all our strength, we must see to it that we keep a strong hold on mutual love, so that our trivial works may be approved by him who examines the secret thoughts of our hearts. 9. You write, my child, about someone who kept grieving you, and you cursed him, etc., no, my child, do not curse anyone, no matter how much he has harmed you. Our Christ tells us to love our enemies, so how can we speak evil? Seek forgiveness from God and henceforth love him as your brother, regardless of whether or not you agree with him. Didn't Christ on the cross forgive his crucifiers? Then how can we do otherwise? Yes, my child, we must love everyone, regardless of whether they love us or not. That is their business. 10. My child, always justify your brother and reproach yourself. Never justify your deeds. Learn to say bless, in other words, and forgive me. And humility will dwell within you. Have patience and overlook your brother's faults, remembering God's forbearance towards your own faults. Love as Jesus loves you and as you want others to love you. Hold on to silence, constant prayer, and self-reproach, and then you will see how much mourning and tears and joy you will feel. 
But if you fail to hold on to them, in other words, if you neglect to apply them, then coldness and dryness will replace the above graces. Love the brethren. Your love will show when, despite all your brother's weaknesses, you count them as nothing and love him. Love will keep you from all sins. Think of nothing but your own sinfulness. Reproach yourself constantly. This is the best path. 11. I pray your soul is in good health. For when it is healthy, it has patience in afflictions. It has self-denial with the body and in its thoughts. And it fears neither illnesses nor selfish thoughts. When the soul is healthy, it has love within itself. It does not scandalize others. It endures a brother's harsh words. It does not expose his faults in public. It always has something good to say about his brother. It gives way in quarrels and escapes having bitter thoughts and distress. When the soul is healthy, it does not get angry, complain, talk back, murmur, disobey. It does not follow its own whims, and it does so many other things indicative of spiritual health. This health is what I seek from you. This is what I advise. For this do I pray. 12. To a struggling Christian. First letter. Put up with that person who grieves you and creates temptations. Put up with him joyfully. Pray for him every day. Always try to do good to him, to commend him, to speak to him with love, and God will work his miracle and he will reform. Then our Christ will be glorified, and the devil who sets up all these stumbling blocks will be foiled. Force yourself especially to stop criticizing and lying. Your penance is to do one prayer rope every day for this person who hates you, so that God may enlighten him to repent and do ten more matanyas daily for one month. If this person does something against you, overlook it. Be patient. Let yourself be wronged, but do not wrong. Let yourself be slapped, but do not slap. Let yourself be criticized, but do not criticize. When you do all this, then the Son of God, along with the Father and the Holy Spirit, will dwell in your soul. Fight the good fight. Overlook the deeds of this person, just as our Christ has overlooked your sins. Second letter. I rejoice to find out that you are compelling yourself to defeat in this way that person who harasses you so much. Yes, my child, love always conquers. Pursue love, humility, purity. Keep doing a prayer rope for this person. Christ shall enlighten him. The devil is behind it all. When Christ drives the devil away, your brother will become like a little lamb. 13. Give preference to your brother in everything. Let deference towards others characterize you. In the name of God, do not quarrel, do not criticize. These are not actions of a monk, but of a worldly person far from God. You are dedicated to God. Whatever he wants is what you should do. This is what should govern your conduct toward others. When you see that you are quarreling and so forth, you should realize that you are doing the devil's will and that God is greatly distressed. The angels who see you say with sorrow, What's wrong with him that makes him fight? Doesn't he take into consideration God's commandment to love? Whereas when they see you sacrificing yourself for the love of Christ, they rejoice and glorify God, who gives his grace so that man may conquer the devil. 14. 
I entreat you, my child, compel yourself to show brotherly love. A monk without love is spiritually dead. Do not judge anyone. Do not say things that are unnecessary, useless, harmful, and unbecoming for monks. Why did you leave the world, my child? Wasn't it to become holy? Wasn't it to have genuine godly love? When you complain and judge your seniors, can you possibly be fulfilling the goal for which you've withdrawn from the world? How long will the devil laugh? And when will you start repenting and correcting yourself? Time is passing and the end draws near. We must compel ourselves now. Now everything can be rectified. Later, we will bang our heads against the wall to no avail. 15. It is now the eve of Holy Theophany. Oh, what condescension! Naked he entered the waters of the Jordan. Who did? He who is the Logos of the Beginningless Father, who said of old, Let there be, and lo, everything came into being in front of him. Naked so that he would bestow sonship upon us, who were spiritually bare. When the Jordan saw the Invisible One visible, the fleshless one incarnate, it was frightened and turned back its flow. St. John the Baptist trembled and said, How can a servant baptize his master? How can a lamp illuminate the light? Which light? That blessed triple sunlight, which gives light to every man coming into the world. The beginningless father bore witness to his beginning, co-beginningless son. While the comforter descended in the form of a dove and remained on the immaculate head of Jesus, confirming the certainty of the word. Every Christian soul rejoices and leaps for joy before the grandeur of the mystery of Theophany. Oh, what a God and Father we have! Ah, this heart of God which loves man so much has been ignored and forgotten. He cries out through the prophet, Can a woman forget her child and have no compassion upon the offspring of her womb? Though she may forget her children, I will not forget you. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Oh, how much comfort these words of the Apostle Paul give to a newly repenting soul, a soul that shows compassion and sympathizes with its neighbor in words and deeds has great boldness before God. Once, when St. Andrew the Fool for Christ was feigning foolishness, in the middle of Constantinople, the spiritual eyes of a God-fearing woman were opened, and in the vision she saw blessed Andrew shining brighter than the sun. People were striking him, spitting at him, loathing him, while the demons were rejoicing because they would condemn them at their death. Since they were beating and tormenting in every way this saint of God. But St. Andrew, he said to the demons, No, I have entreated God that this not be counted as a sin for those who strike and torment me. Then Barbara, that was her name, saw heaven open, and a huge dove descended with a flower in its mouth and sat upon the head of blessed Andrew and said, Accept this flower, which the Father of lights has sent to you because you are merciful towards those who strike you, just as he is merciful. Around the dove were countless little birds of every kind chanting heavenly songs to the delight of his blessed soul, which suffered so much for Christ. Shortly thereafter, the vision ended. 
When the Blessed One approached Barbara, by the Holy Spirit he knew of her vision and said to her, Keep this a secret, Barbara, until I leave this life, until I go to the place of the wondrous tabernacle. A merciful soul resembles God and has great boldness toward him. May God give us a compassionate, merciful heart, so that when we depart, we may find God's heart open and full of mercy, compassion, and love. Amin. So be it. 16. Great is our honor, though we are unworthy, to have been called by God to serve as His tools in the work of saving souls. But let us bear in mind that if others, apostles and so forth, had not sacrificed their lives for our sake, we would not be children of God and heirs of heavenly blessings. Therefore, let us do whatever we can. The work will be completed by Him who has the power to perfect it. Think about how the first Christians struggled during the times of the catacombs, with what self-sacrifice, with what love they sacrificed things dear to them when Christian duty called. And in the end, their sacrifices brought them eternal glory. Oh, we are unworthy, and unfortunately we lose everything because of our lack of faith. And I am the first amongst those of little faith. But we hope that the Lord's mercy will strengthen us so that we too may humbly bear a small cross for our solace. 17. Blessed is he who endures the harsh words of his brother in silence and circumspection, lest there be hatred or criticism or rancor in his heart. He resembles Christ, whom, when he was casting out demons from people, the Jews criticized by saying, He casts out demons by the ruler of the demons, and he has a demon. Why do you listen to him? Do you see, my child, that they said such things even to Christ? Therefore do not be upset. If you are patient, if you humble yourself and say, Indeed, I have many demons, since every passion is a demon, and I am just as my brother says, and even worse. If you try to love and obey him, the day will come when you will be freed from the passions, and then Christ will reign in your heart and give you the priceless peace of God. 18. Do not ruin salvific love for trifles. Do not harbor suspicions against each other and create bad conditions within yourselves that corrupt your souls. Fear the judgment of God. Woe to him from whom the offense comes. Do not justify yourselves. Take the burden of any matter upon yourselves, and then you will experience much benefit in your soul. But if you justify your actions and judge your neighbor and your brother, you will always feel sorrow and distress as a punishment for your transgression. A monk without self-reproach isn't worth a penny, nor will he ever make any progress. Consider whatever the elder tells you to be the will of God and that the Lord speaks through his mouth. Only when you think like this will you practice obedience the way our Christ wants you to. 19. The Lord will condemn to eternal fire those who create temptations. Sincerely love one another, not falsely and superficially, but with spiritual depth. Our Christ showed us so much love that his holy example should become a holy reason for us also to love one another similarly. If we do not show love through our deeds, not only in words, in vain do we labor in our struggle, for we are beating the air and are straying from the goal of our salvation. 
Let us not be deceived, thinking that we shall be saved while neglecting the basic virtue of love. If we are not characterized by the unadulterated love of Christ, in vain do we run, in which case all hope of salvation is lost. 20. Regarding your question, my brother in the Lord, if we should correct our fellow human being when he is ungrateful, unfair, and so forth, or if we should not in order to be rewarded for being patient, I shall answer, if you think that he will benefit through admonitions and advice, we should do so, choosing to benefit our brother rather than ourselves, thus performing the greatest virtue, love. If you think that no benefit will result from your admonitions, choose your own benefit by putting up with his ingratitude and injustice. Chapter 12 On Trials and Temptations 1. God allows temptations so that they might rouse us to remember him. When we call upon him, he acts as though he does not hear us so that we multiply our supplications and cry out his holy name in fear of the various passions. Then, through the pain of our entreaties, our heart is sanctified, and through experience we learn the weakness of our lame nature. And thus we realize in practice that without God's help we are not able to do anything. This deep experience is acquired with the blood of the heart and remains indelible. It becomes a foundation for the remainder of one's life. The grace of God leaves and comes again, but experience never leaves, because it has been branded within the heart. And no matter how much Satan praises the heart, it points to what is indelibly written within its depths, that without God it is impossible to do anything. If there were no temptations, then pride and other passions would have turned us into other Lucifers. But our good Father, God, allows afflictions to come upon us so that we may be guarded by humility, which will lighten the burden of our sins. When we are still in our youth, we must be tempted, for youth is easily derailed. In time, the war will cease, and the desired peace will come. Just have courage and patience. Do not despair, no matter how much the passions may fight you. God loves one who is fought against and fights back. Be brave, and pray also for me, the indolent, the unclean, the unworthy, the abomination. 2. If a trial benefited the Apostle Paul, as he said, A thorn in the flesh was given to me, an angel of Satan, to torment me, lest I be exalted above measure. How much more will trials benefit us when we bear them patiently? The Apostle Paul was a chosen vessel, the mouth of Christ, dead to the world, one in whom the whole Holy Trinity dwelt. And even though the trial hindered his apostolic preaching, and even though he entreated God so much to take away the trial, God, looking after the benefit of his soul, did not fulfill his prayer, although he besought him three times. But he received the answer, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. My grace, he said to him, is sufficient for your consolation. You will have this trial in order to benefit by acquiring more humility. Therefore, my children, bear with joy whatever trial God sends you, whether it be grief or ferocity of the passions, for God sends them to us for our benefit, in order that patience and all these things may be considered as asceticism which we are otherwise unable to do. So thank God, glorify him with your mouth and heart, 
because the consolation of grace will come after the trial when we bear it with patience and thanksgiving. Is there anyone who has entered paradise by a different path, a path without temptations, whom we can imitate? No. All the saints passed through fire and water, through various temptations and afflictions, and they glorified God with their patience and received crowns of eternal glory. Do not lose courage in the struggle. Our Christ is invisibly standing by, observing the struggle of each one of us. Therefore, struggle patiently. Call out the name of our Jesus, so that it may be implanted within your hearts, and so that you may become rich in the grace of God. Struggle to acquire pure intellect, so that you may feel the grace of the Holy Resurrection. 3. Two kinds of grace are acquired when struggling according to God. One is the comfort of the Holy Spirit, who fills the soul with joy, peace, delight, and so forth. The other is called experience of temptations. This grace of experience is indelibly imprinted upon the soul. That is, it does not leave a person, because it is united within the heart which experienced the temptations. Whereas the first, the grace of the Holy Spirit, sometimes comes and sometimes goes. In a time of temptations, the second grace, experience, is more beneficial because it enlightens the soul how to pass through them. Since experience comes from temptations, it knows how to free the soul from danger whenever it comes. So temptations, when we bear them with patience, bestow upon us the wisdom of temptations, and thus we become true philosophers. If we do not humble ourselves, instruction through temptations is not going to cease. Egotism creates temptations, but temptations in turn subdue the ego. Therefore be humble, my child, if you want the demons who oppress you to be humbled. Throw yourself beneath all and say, I am the worst person in the world, and everything is my fault. 4. Struggle, my children, struggle. No matter how much the enemy fights against you, take courage and we shall overcome him. We have our Christ, the commander-in-chief, who said, I have overcome the world. We too will overcome it. Just do not lose hope. God will not overlook the supplication of anyone who has hope and calls upon him, if he prays humbly. Humble yourselves. Do not think highly of yourselves and you will attain lofty things. The more gold is tried in the fire, the purer it becomes. And the more a Christian is tried by temptations, the more his soul is purified. The more deeply we plow the earth, and the more often we prune and look after the vine, the sweeter and the more abundant will the fruit be. The more deeply and frequently afflictions and temptations plow the heart of a Christian, the more pure and fruitful he will become. Therefore have courage, hope, and patience to receive the crown of glory, Temptations and afflictions will save us, whereas whoever flees from afflictions should not expect joyful things to come. 5. Do not grieve for what has happened. May his will be done always, and let us say, may it be blessed. I pray that you acquire monastic forcefulness. All people suffer. We are blessed because for the sake of Christ we show patience in temptations. For the monk who endures them patiently, temptations will cause an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. We owe thousands of thanks to the sweetest Heavenly Father, who providentially allows painful events to occur in our lives 
so that we will not find ourselves in the other world incapable of showing that we endured something for the sake of his love. Courage, my children. Do not fall to your knees on your way uphill. We shall ascend little by little because we are weak. All will pass and be forgotten on the never-ending day of the glorious common resurrection. 6. You wrote me about your temptations, my child, but it is clear that whoever wants to walk the road of God, the road of purification, sanctification, and dispassion, must first consider the necessary commitment he will shoulder. That is, he must be prepared to encounter temptations regardless of their origin, and to be powerfully forged in the virtue of humility. We are full of egotism, my good child, and since we are ill with this great illness of irrational egotism, naturally it follows that we undergo a painful treatment, that is, temptations, for several years until we learn humility and practice. The Lord of glory war humility. It is a God-adorning virtue. However, my good child, it is acquired with the blood of the heart. May it be blessed. Forgive me. I do not know. Whatever you want. These are the words of a humble monk, a clear sign of progress. Concerning the matter of the brother who afflicts you, you must be patient. Be tolerant. Overlook his faults. Be philosophical about it. And reproach yourself for being more ill spiritually in other ways, and not having been tested yet, and therefore it is improper for you to speak. 7. The grief which you wrote about, my child, is clearly from the devil, because one who has confessed his sins must believe that they were entirely forgiven, and all grief must be banished without delay. So he must rejoice that God pitied him and enlightened him to wash his dirty garment by means of a frank confession and should have good hope for the salvation of his soul. This untimely grief has destroyed many. Therefore, do not grieve at all. Rejoice, and again I shall say, rejoice. 8. Every time a person falls, my child, he must arise, and he will be saved. When someone falls and voluntarily does not get up, this is from the demons. Despair is a demonic weapon which has broken down many. Hope, however, has saved many from the filthy pit of mire. 9. Satan leads us astray, and me, first of all, because we do not show patience, and thus we lose the profit of each temptation. There was a monk who entreated God to deliver him from the passions. So God took the passions away from him and gave him dispassion. Then he went to an experienced Abba and said to him, Yeronda, I have found rest from the passions, and I am at peace. He was still young. Listen, my child, said the great elder to him. Go and entreat God to bring the passions back to you, for man profits not in dispassion but in warfare, because dispassion is not labor but rest. In temptations a person is perfected and becomes spiritual, whereas without temptations he remains unwise, uneducated, and, and useless. Therefore be patient, no matter what fights you. In these end times that we are living in, let us not expect anything other than temptations, and they will save us. 10. The darkness which you have, my child, comes both from nature and from the tempter. Both are healed by the arrival of God's grace. For this reason entreat God to give you sobriety, 
and the ability to remember good things and forget bad things. When you persist, little by little, the grace of God will help you. 11. My blessed child, I pray that the Lord of glory will give you the finest spiritual gift for your soul, so that your heart leaps from the divine joy and peace. As for temptations, they are inevitable, and we must realize that they are not about to subside. So we must always be ready to show patience. In any case, the wages of the one who patiently bears the infirmities of the weak will be great, for he will have suffered much, and it is very just that he be rewarded proportionately. I pray that you will become as strong as granite, on which all the billows of temptation will break, and that you will remain unshakable in faith toward God. 12. Be patient, my child, be patient. It is for us to acquire humility that we are allowed to be tempted. These are medicines which cure our sick souls. Rejoice that God is caring for your wounds. Bless him that he considers you his child and disciplines you in order to teach you wisdom from his law. Blessed is the one whom you will discipline and teach. And what son is there whom a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, then you are illegitimate and not sons. But our temptations testify that we are children of God, and this is cause for much joy and honor. So take courage, my child. Wait patiently for the Lord and do good. 13. My child, we must understand that we shall pass through this present life with many and various temptations. We shall often water every step of our life with bitter tears and sighs. It is in this way that the all-wise God wanted man to live. But even if he himself did not escape this law, since the whole life of our Christ was a life of afflictions and trials, who among men can demand to escape fulfilling this common law? No one. Therefore let us be brave, fighting valiantly in each oppressive adversity of this life, until the divine command calls us to abandon the present things and depart to the eternal dwellings. 14. Sometimes a person seeks the will of God or to be delivered from some passion, and God allows some predicament to befall us which will bring the desired result. But at first sight the things seem arduous, and he thinks that it is a temptation due to his carelessness. Yet when the benefit ensuing from the predicament or the temptation is revealed, it is seen clearly that hidden within it was God's will, or the deliverance from the passion for which he had begged God. Thus we learn that in each temptation we need patience and forbearance in order to ascertain what is hidden within it once it passes. Many times a temptation happens which, at first glance, does not seem to conceal anything salvific within it. Yet, afterwards, we see that within it is eternal life. 15. Just as night succeeds day, winter eventually succeeds summer, spring succeeds winter, and so on. Similarly, one spiritual state succeeds another. Today, for example, I am in a good state in terms of purity of thoughts, and my soul glides like a dolphin in a tranquil sea. Everything is peaceful, and you think that it will continue like this forever. But the road which the wisdom of God has mapped out does not change its course. And behold, in a corner of the sky, little clouds, simple, unhealthy ideas arise in the horizon and gather in the sky, in the mind. 
Soon afterwards, the wind begins. Thunder follows. The sea becomes rough, and before long a tempest of thoughts is formed. Thus a state of bitter thoughts, and so forth, succeeds the purity, and various disturbances follow the calm. If those who fear God lacked the various trials and temptations, some of us would have ended up in satanic pride. Others in debauchery worse than Sodom. Others in the darkness of unbelief and impiety, and so forth. So then it is two afflictions that we owe this little piety of ours, as well as our hope of salvation. One who is physically ill abhors the bitter medicines and painful operations. However, he endures patiently, knowing that the physician affects his health through these things. And when he gets well, he renders many thanks to the physician for the good which he did and no longer remembers the pain, because it has passed. We should also understand spiritual matters in the same way. All the various afflictions make the one afflicted abhor them, but they result in the cure of the soul's spiritual members. And if those afflictions had not been sent by God, the great physician, that sickly member of the soul, would have constantly grown worse, and then the soul would have been poisoned and suffered spiritual death, which is separation from God. Therefore, we ought to thank God in every situation so that we do not fall away from piety. The Apostle James teaches us beautifully concerning this matter. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Temptations attest to the inner state of each person. When many kinds of storms appear, it is then that the nautical experience of the captain shows, and godly afflictions reveal who the Christian is. Take away temptations and no one would be saved. This does not mean, however, that we should lead ourselves into temptation on purpose. But as we struggle according to God and look out for ourselves, we shall encounter temptations coming from his fatherly endearment, from the demon's envy, from our carelessness and inexperience, from the cunning of men and so forth. But the goal is one, to struggle with patience and perseverance, reflecting that nothing happens without the will of God. Therefore, we need patience and gratitude. Amin. End of chapter 12. Chapter 13. On Faith, Hope, and Patience. 1. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. My children, trust that God will not allow us to be tempted beyond our strength. Along with the temptation will come the help of God. Our Christ tells us that if they hated me, they will also hate you. If they persecuted and blasphemed and cursed me, they will also persecute and blaspheme and curse you. And they will do these things to you because they do not know God, and they know not what they do. We, my children, know God, and because we love him and are his, the world hates us, since it does not agree with him. Therefore have courage, my children. We are followers of the one who was crucified by them, so we too will be crucified by trials and temptations. Just as he was resurrected, we too will be resurrected and glorified together with him unto the ages of ages. The devil has raised a storm, but it will die down because God is all-powerful and nothing can happen without his divine will. God is with us. Christ reigns within us, within as many of us as were baptized into Christ, and we are not afraid. 
Perhaps we shall enter into temptations, but our deliverer is near. For he said, I have overcome the world. Therefore, we will also be victorious, even if the sea surges threateningly for the moment. Do not be afraid of any one. Fear only God who is able to cast us into the fire of hell, if we are not careful. So, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do not forget what the Christians of the past suffered in order to keep their faith in our Christ. They hid within the catacombs. They were persecuted and afflicted. We also are blessed who are persecuted because of our desire to worship God and to guard our chastity. We shall go through much, but in the end, the crucified Jesus will be victorious, for the cross is our glorious banner. So do not fear, God is with us. 2. Trust in God, who has created them and keeps them under his care. For if a leaf does not fall from a tree without his divine will, how much more shall the affairs of a man, his son by grace, a Christian, be under his care? But the devil, who knows your weakness, troubles you with it in order to harass you. When we have laid our foundation on trust in God, the foundation is on the rock, and even if the winds blow and thunderstorms come, they will not overcome us. But when we have laid our foundation on trust in our own efforts, the foundation is on sand, and we shall fall easily. Do not grieve, everything will pass. This is how the path of those who are being saved is marked out, in torments and afflictions. 3. Why are you gloomy and devoured by grief? The spirit of grief requires self-consolation for you to overcome the thoughts of despair from the evil one. When you listen to any suggestion of the evil spirit of grief, you will never be able to see the joy of hope. Everything written in the divine scriptures was written for our admonition, so that with them we may fight back against the one who deceived us, the pernicious dragon. When the greatly compassionate father saw the prodigal son coming, he hastened to embrace him, kissed him tenderly, and abhorred neither his filthiness nor his whole inward and outward wretched condition. Who can describe his paternal feelings when he embraced his beloved child, whom he had considered dead and lost, but then saw alive and returning in repentance? His actions showed his feelings. Immediately he raised him to his original position as son and heir. To whom did the revered mouth of the Lord say these things? Was it not to us for our consolation, so that when the tempest of despair tosses us about, we may tie our boat to the saving anchor of hope in the love and compassion of our Heavenly Father? The Lord founded his church on earth as his bride to intercede for his children. He left us the great mystery of the divine Eucharist so that we may be purified, sanctified, and united with God. If the blood of bulls and goats purified sinners in the Old Testament, how much more will the blood of Christ purify us from all sin? For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies them for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works? The devil, who out of hatred and envy does not like to see a person spiritually happy, stirs up everything in order to cause bitterness and poison. This is his joy and gain. But as for us, let us keep striving to produce self-consolation through spiritual means, 
opposing his various machinations. Who has ever hoped in God and was put to shame? And who has despaired and was ever saved? The devil fears a person who hopes because he knows from experience what a greatly compassionate God we have. If the child who hopes in his own father will never go wrong, how much more will he who hopes in the father of fathers, whose love cannot be compared with any other love, and is as far from any other love as the heaven is from the abyss? If someone sins fatally ten thousand times, but exerts himself in repentance with all his strength, as long as he hopes, he will never be put to shame. For whom did our Christ suffer? Was it not for our souls that are wounded by the dragon? And whoever looked upon the bronze serpent was saved. You too, humble soul, should hope in the sweetest compassion of our Heavenly Father, who never loathed nor rejected anyone. He receives everyone. The boundless space of his compassion is never filled. He has mercy on the first and likewise does not exclude the last, but receives all equally out of his great goodness. The more sinful the penitent, the greater the honor given to the compassion of God. Glory to thy compassion. Glory to thy dispensation, O only lover of mankind. 4. Why do you worry and grieve more than necessary for the various incidents? We are not outside of divine providence so as to be directed by mere chance. Therefore, whatever happens to us happens with God's knowledge, and so nothing will happen to us beyond our strength. Let those who do not believe in divine providence drown in worry. They are certainly justified. But we who believe that God is everywhere present and that there is no creature outside his providence are not justified when we worry more than necessary. For through this action we show a lack of faith and illumination. Blessed is the man who hopes in God, for as a lion he will trust in him. If God is the one who permits it, thy will be done, Lord. Who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor? Who is able to search out the will of the Lord? If you do not become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. That is, through faith and innocence. 5. A dreadful storm was raised on the Sea of Tiberias. A threatening wind was trying to sink the tiny little boat of Jesus and his disciples. The disciples were terrified. No one was resting, except the Lord of life and death. Arise, Master, they cried out in despair. We are perishing. Then he who holds all in his hand arose and rebuked the sea and the wind, and there was a great calm. Let us also believe in the power of our Jesus, and the tempter will surrender his weapons, and there will be a great calm. For whose love do you bear afflictions? For whose sake did you jeopardize your very lives for the sisters? Out of love. Whose command are you carrying out? You will answer, For the love of our Christ, in whom we hope that all things through his power will have a good ending. Good, very good, for he is the one who numbers all the hairs of our head. How could we think that anything will happen without his willing it? And if we are protected by divine providence, what are we to fear? Should we not rather fear him who is able to put us into the fire of hell on account of our sins? Instead of having courage and pride in our Christ unto his glory, who counted you worthy to struggle in this way, you, on the contrary, are filled with grief and thoughts and murmuring. I repeat, 
you ought to be proud that God deemed you the base and unworthy, worthy to become instruments of his divine providence for the salvation of select souls for whom our Christ died. Do not grieve for God's sake. Do not seek to lose your reward, which will be great in heaven. Preaching the divine word is the smallest virtue, but sacrificing ourselves for him is perfect love, that is, to lay down our lives out of love for our neighbor. Certainly this virtue is laborious and dangerous, but are any high offices attained without labor and toil? Let us not forget the meaning of the divine crucifixion, that we also ought to become small saviors when the time calls for it by the divine will. Let us see God as our Father. Let us rest in the warmth of his secure embrace, for he knows how to arrange everything for our benefit. As humans, we, and first of all I, lose courage in the beginning, so that our human weakness shows. But then the good Cyrenian divine grace comes and bears our cross, and thus we ascend Golgotha more easily. Wasn't our Christ afraid in Gethsemane? What were the great drops of holy sweat for? These and other things characterized the human weakness. But afterwards, as God, quiet and meek as an innocent lamb, he sacrificed his life for the sake of ungrateful man. 6. Let us bear everything patiently that we may gain the God of all. When we patiently bear sufferings, immediately the future blessings are confirmed. When we are deprived of the joy of this world, then without a doubt we store up the joy of God in our immortal soul. It is impossible not to enjoy with an everlasting recompense the good which we are deprived of here. Let us give a little here on earth, so as to receive it with interest from the impregnable treasury of the gifts of God. Let us sow the seeds of virtue so that we may crown our heads with most fragrant flowers in a crown of eternal glory. 7. We should not find it strange if the passions and sicknesses war against us, but rather we should entreat God to give us patience, that great balm for the wounds of the soul as well as for the body. Patience is the one and only diamond which beautifies the Christian and makes straight the rough road of our salvation. Patience is the fortitude of the soul, the support, the deep root that holds the tree when the winds beat against it and the streams strike it. When you fall, rise, and when you sin, repent. Just never let the poison of despair penetrate into your heart, seeing the great sea of God's compassion. No matter how many sins one commits, they go away and vanish in the sea of God's goodness. 8. Wholeheartedly thank God who loves you, as I can see very much. For if he did not love you, you would not be as you are. You think that you are lost, and so forth, but I see that you are spiritually very well off. Just do not despair. Do not lose hope. He who has hope will by no means be put to shame. Even if someone is covered by an abyss of sins, if he repents and does not lose hope, the devil fears him, because the paternal heart of the Heavenly Father yields when his prodigal son says, I have sinned. He runs first, embraces him, kisses him, and kills the fatted calf in celebration, for his son was dead and is alive again. The despair of the sinner is completely unjustified. Is a handful of sand ever able to cover the ocean? 9. Blessed is the man who has a living hope in God. He shows faith 
trust, glory, and honor to him. God is then obliged to keep him in his providence. And the saying of the Holy Gospel applies, As you have believed, so let it be done for you. But unfortunately, temptations come to us, creating great spiritual confusion, and the bright sun of sweet hope is covered by deep darkness. Then we lose our orientation and end up thinking and doing something unbecoming to our calling as Christians. But the goodness of God, who knows that the mind of man is inclined to evil from his youth, and that men are not able to remain in the height of Christian perfection, gave us glorious and endless repentance. 10. Have patience, my children. Do not lose your courage in the struggle, and do not let your knees weaken under the pressure of temptations. For our good God will not allow us to be tempted beyond our strength. Why do you give room to Satan to war against you with greater intensity? Have faith in God, and whatever he permits will be to our advantage. Do we perhaps know better than he? Cast your care upon the Lord, and he will take care of you. Do not put forth your will, for faith is the offspring of grace and divine visitation. Has not each one of us experienced personally miracles of God's divine providence? Didn't divine grace visit this particular person? If you had not sacrificed yourselves, would this person be in the army of Christ now? Didn't Christ sacrifice himself for us? Certainly. And had he not given himself to death on the cross, we would not be what we are by divine grace. This shows that things that are very good, those that are on a higher spiritual level, are bought with blood. But the reward is so great that it cannot be measured, and their glory is equal to the angels. I feel for you, and this is why I also suffer. In times of temptation, man forgets everything and is brought to a state that he did not want in times of peace. 11. In general, your thoughts are human. Start trusting in the Almighty God, and the four winds will take everything away. Not a hair of our head will perish. Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Bear in mind the temptations of the saints, and be calm. Do not grieve, for the demon of the passion fabricates misleading and provocative images in order to induce a bad and dangerous predisposition. Whereas by reflecting on the uncertainty of the time of our death, we become peaceful. Pray, my children, and do not fear. The Theotokos, our champion, will again give us the victory. Reflect on the precious soul of your sister and its incalculable worth, for Christ died also for her. 12. Be patient in everything. Remember that Christ was reviled, slapped, whipped, and finally crucified on the cross. Since he endured these things for us, we too must endure similar things for his love, but also for the salvation of us who have so many sins. Regard every evil word they say to you as a golden crown. When one is reviled or spoken too harshly, he feels pain, but this pain becomes a healing balm for his passions, for the wounds of his soul. No virtue purifies the passions of pride and unchastity, as much as bearing insults and contempt with patience and silence. 13. I received your sorrowful letter and read it attentively. My soul was filled with pain for you, and I wept and prayed in tears and mourning after reading your letter. 
Nevertheless, be patient, my child, because God made you like that because he loves you very much. Maybe if you were well, you would not have been attentive to yourself. Whereas now, in your sickness, God gives you so much humility and self-reproach and patience, and he is very pleased. You should always thank him, for as our Father, which God is, he knows what is advantageous for each soul, and accordingly as he knows best, gives us various means of salvation, regardless of whether or not we understand it due to our narrow-mindedness and human imperfection. Endure patiently, my child. God, who gave you this sickness, knows that hidden within it is much benefit. Every evil has a tinge of good. Therefore, endure patiently, and it will be counted to you as a martyrdom. Reflect that all who have entered paradise, the kingdom of God, passed their lives like martyrs, some in sickness, others in labor, others in pain and persecution. Each one of us bears a cross in accordance with his strength, in order that we may all resemble Christ, who in his life on earth also bore the cross for our sake. So, if we suffer together with our Christ, only then will we also be glorified together with him. 14. Never lose hope of salvation. Constantly cry out to God and weep. God never overlooks a soul that wants to be saved and repents, no matter how much it may be wounded in the fight. God knows how weak our nature is. Where will the clay find the strength to support the pressure of the water if God does not bake it with the grace of the Holy Spirit? He knows, as the all-seeing eye, that as soon as he leaves us, we fall down and are lost. For this reason, he does not allow us to be tempted as much as the devil wants. Were he to leave us, the devil would cast us all together into hell. But the good God prevents him and allows him to tempt us only as much as each soul is able to bear. No matter how much we are wounded in the fight, let us not lose courage, but let us take care of our wounds and continue the fight. When God sees our labor and our small desire for salvation, he will give us the victory. It is a great evil for a combatant to lose courage in the fight, for immediately the adversary pounces ferociously to vanquish him. Therefore, my child, endure your so encourage your soul and be hopeful. Say to yourself, I would rather die in the battle for the glory of God than grieve my brother by abandoning my fight against the devil. 15. My child, if only we would have patience and not get tired of seeking divine mercy until our last breath. Why was the Canaanite woman called blessed? She was called blessed for the faith and perseverance which she showed while crying out behind Jesus, Have mercy on me, son of David. My daughter is severely possessed by a demon. Jesus dismissed her, overlooked her. She, however, showed no sign of keeping quiet but kept crying out until our Christ grew weary of her, or rather until he had tested her, and granted her request. O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. 16. Endure all things, my child, as a slave sold for the sake of Christ. People scold, berate, scorn, and do many other things to a slave, yet he endures everything as a man without freedom. You too, my child, should think of yourself like this, so that you can endure everything for the sake of glorious slavery to Jesus, and so that our Christ may give you eternal freedom in the heavenly Jerusalem.
17. My child, support the brothers. I know their weight. It does not escape my notice what you bear. But for whom do you endure these things? For Christ and him alone. So is he not worthy of this? Oh, what good work, what virtue is able to measure up to the love of God and the forbearance which he shows to us? But is it we who are patient, or is it really Christ who strengthens us invisibly? It is Christ who helps us. Otherwise, we would be able to support such a weight of souls. Who would be able to, when we are not even able to support ourselves? The only thing which we must do is to pray that God will give us patience, and we shall try, as is our duty, to bear the weaknesses of those for whom we have assumed responsibility. Each of us has a burden in proportion to his power, but God perceives our weaknesses and helps us. Do not murmur, do not fall to your knees, my child. It is time to run the race. Run in order to take hold of the prize of the heavenly calling. Do not lose courage. Christ is invisibly present. It is for his love that you undertook the struggle. 18. I pray for you that the Lord will give you patience, enlightenment, discernment, and health, so that you are able to navigate the ship of the Synodia with wisdom and meekness. Scandals will never cease, inasmuch as the devil exists, who continually attacks us with his evil. Bear without murmuring the weaknesses of your brethren, and humble your inner self. But as regards governing the Synodia, you must keep your position as elder. Have patience, my child. The harvest is in accordance to the labor. Let us labor for God. We should not worry and despair while awaiting our recompense from God. 19. We must do all things with faith and hope, for whatever is not from faith is sin. No matter how rough the sea of passions becomes, and even if the waves have the power to sink us, we must place our hope in the Lord. Then the waves will break like soap bubbles on the rock of our hope and love toward Jesus. Do not lose your spiritual courage when temptations surround you. Rouse your zeal with good thoughts, that is, with various sayings of the Lord which give us the enlightenment to deal with every temptation. Let us continuously compel ourselves in order to put oil in the lamps of our souls, so that when the Lord comes he may find us vigilant, filled with the oil of good works. And then we shall enter into the divine bridal chamber of eternal joy and delight. The struggle is not small. It does not last for only one day, but until our last breath. Therefore let us arm ourselves with the sweetest name of our Jesus, so that the devil finds no room in our heart. But to acquire the memory of our Jesus, much diligence, forcefulness, faith, hope, perseverance, patience, and time are needed. 20. Place your hope in our Christ and do not fear the threats of the demons, but establish yourself beside him and say, by my God shall I leap over a wall. That is, I shall pass over the barriers of demonic temptations with the power of my God. Try to make a good start, for then you will have an excellent end. How you begin is how you will continue to walk. Do not disregard your small imperfections and say, Ah, this is nothing. No. Small things will become large and will give birth to other evils as well. He who does not pay attention to small vices will fall into greater ones. 21. 
Do not grieve for anything other than your lack of patience in some matter. This is because when you are impatient, you lose eternal rewards and a great deal of boldness in prayer. Pray that the Lord adds to you a wealth of patience and forbearance, and through these riches you will also make others rich. Do not lose your spiritual courage, I entreat you, but draw this up from mighty faith in God, who does not allow us to be tempted beyond our strength. 22. My child, be patient with your children. What can we do? Of course they are rambunctious, but they cannot be otherwise. In any case, we must be patient. Do not let things pile up in your soul. Do not demand details. For by constantly worrying, you will harm your health, and that will be worse. Just overlook their shortcomings and increase your prayer, for prayer works miracles. And then miraculously, without exertion, they will become calm and quiet children. Many children were very rambunctious when they were small. Afterwards, however, they became wonderful in everything. The rambunctious children are usually smart, too, and someday they may achieve much. My child, do not lose your courage, and as long as I live in this vain world, with God's help I hope to help you in all of your difficulties. I realize that I am continually burdened with responsibilities, and consequently my free time is reduced. Nevertheless, I shall try to help you with whatever strength I have left over. 24. It is unbecoming for a monk to despair, as it is also for a soldier. For where will he find the strength to lift his rifle, make laborious night marches and attacks, and obtain victories? Likewise, a monk, the spiritual soldier of Christ, who fights against his spiritual enemy, will be able to accomplish his spiritual purpose only by having an invigorating hope and by sacrificing himself. 25. Do not worry at all. Everything will pass and the storm will die down. Do not despair. Have hope in God and in our Panagia. God will never abandon pain souls seeking salvation. The devil has become rabid because his plans were ruined, and what big plans! Glory to thee, O God, for everything. Carry the cross, my children, and crucify yourselves with our Christ, and soon the bright resurrection will come. The more afflicted you are now, the more you will feel the joy of freedom. This is how the life of the Christian is mapped out, in afflictions, in troubles. All who desire to live according to God will suffer. Take courage and do not fear. Have firm faith in our Christ. He is omnipotent, no matter how wild Satan becomes. Before our Christ, before his power, all his machinations are destroyed. Just say the prayer and be at peace. Trust in divine providence. All your afflictions will turn out to be for your own good. During great trials, my elder experienced theoria, 